Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to talk about Michigan State's 72-62 win in the first round of the NCAA tournament over the University of Southern California Trojans. Uh, before we begin, I just want to send a brief thanks to Matt first. Matt sent us a one-time gift via PayPal, or sorry, Venmo, and left a message. Y'all are awesome, and your level-headed takes are so appreciated. Thank you. Go green. Uh, go white, Matt. Thanks so much for the support. If you want to support the show, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us keep going and add all these extra features and extra content. You can go over to tffinots.com support. You can give one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo, or you can give a recurring gift via Patreon, and uh, that will be a monthly thing, and there are different levels you can give on it, which gives you different benefits. Uh, so let's talk about this game. It was a great game. It's, there's nothing better <laughs> than winning the game early in the day and be able to relax and enjoy the rest of the tournament. There's nothing worse than losing like early in the first, like on a Thursday, and then you're just, you know, it's hard to even get interested, excited about the first or second round. So well, I'm, try- I'm trying to remember the 2016 loss against Middle Tennessee. That was I early. I want to say was I know it was early in the day, but I want to say that was early on a Thursday. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was a it, Thursday. It, it, it just ruined the whole thing. Yeah, th- it's our because you're expecting more, right? It's not just like you lose the first round, but you're expecting a lot more than that you know, year, especially. That but yeah, right. But yeah, just in general, um, I'm with you. I mean, there is there is nothing better than winning in that first slot, because if you're playing a late game, I mean, I, I'm certainly not going to speak for everybody. I'll just speak for myself, but you know, you can enjoy the games before MSU plays, but there's that anxiety yep. that's building up all day as you're watching. And especially <laughs> if Michigan state is in a year where they happen to be a favorite and you're starting to watch some other favorite struggle, you know, these things all creep into your head. This kind of experience is just the peak. You get yeah. you get the win. You get to enjoy <laughs> the whole rest of today. You get to enjoy tomorrow. And then we'll see what time they're playing on Sunday. They haven't released that yet, as far as I know. So, Right. So as of recording, we're recording during the first round as the games are going on. Uh, Rod's there. I'm sure watching three televisions, watching the games as they're. I've got a, I've got Iona, I've got Iona and UConn on right now. Okay, so that gives you an idea of when we're recording this. For <laughs> if those yeah. are curious, um, so uh, I th- overall really a f- fantastic game to watch. I think played at a pretty high level. It there wasn't a lot of sloppy play. It was I think yep. two teams were competing really well, and so it wasn't a game that you would say someone played really poorly and someone played really well. It was um, I think you saw both teams gave a pretty good shot and had, like I said, good effort level. Michigan State wins 72-62. 
uh, comes it starts off with a good start to the game was up 10 points early in the first half that lead melted away and then USC briefly took the lead going into halftime or so it seemed until AJ Hogart hit that little floater to end the half yeah and to tie it at halftime Michigan State came out and just really put took it to SC they made some defensive adjustments I think and really started limiting what USC was successful with in the first half and then I guess we'll talk about the AJ uh, phantom foul or whatever the guy who cl- who acted like he had been like yikes a what a throat, miserable throat strike. miserable call <laughs> so AJ gets so it counts as a turnover for AJ because it's an offensive foul so he gets and then he gets his third foul so he has to sit and and I think you know this is probably partly to the fact that you know you're lucky you have Walker who's an experienced guy who can run the point although he doesn't run it much you know in the season he probably ran it more last season than this year. But not only did they survive, but they thrived with him out on the bench yeah. on an 11 to two run. Carson Cooper came in, made a couple buckets, some big energy dunks. And really that was at the end of the game. I mean, then they just kind of maintained that 10 point lead for the most, most part, the rest of 10 to 15 to even, I think, I think that's as far as it got up to in the second half and just kind of coasted into the team and, and yeah, got, really yeah, just kind of coasted the hammer, through the, the hammer the got, the hammer got put down on I believe it was consecutive threes from Hauser and from Aikens in opposite yes. corners took the lead from nine to 15. And I don't think SC ever got closer than nine. I think they, then they came and hit two threes at some point to get it down to nine, but then it never really yeah. got any closer than that. It was, and even when Michigan State gave him opportunities at the end of the game, I, you know, with missing four, uh, well, three front ends of one and ones, two yeah. by AJ and one by Madi. And then even even uh, Joey went one for two from the line. Yep. It, it didn't really matter, and it was it was pretty impressive that they still played really good defense. And you know, I guess I don't know. Maybe that's the place to start because I think that was that was where they started really well. The kind of then USC sort of figured things out and was able to exploit Michigan State's defense a little bit. In the end of the first half, you'd say. I guess you'd say. And then they really tied it up and they were suffocating for USC for the first, I don't know, 10 minutes or so of that second half where I think what SC had like a couple buckets and, and Michigan State had scored about 15 points to 15-4 or something to start that half. Yeah, uh, that's where Michigan State won this game on the defensive end. And it was the best defensive performance we've seen from them in weeks, probably over a month. Um, the only thing that prevents an A grade is what they struggled with in the first half, which was pick and roll defense. And it was interesting early on in the half, they were really good. Madi was really good. And yeah. then he just started getting a little overly aggressive. So on those hard hedges, he was just out a little too hard on the ball handler, lost touch with Morgan. And boy, you know, we... <laughs> I want to say as a general statement about this game, I'm usually pretty proud of our scouting reports and I'm not (laughs) going to take a hit on this one because I think the scouting report we delivered, there was a a large basis in fact for it, but you want to talk about a game that didn't follow the scouting report in almost (laughs) every respect. One of them numerous uh, examples of this was that Morgan goes out and scores 14 points. A guy who's been, I think, a six-point-a-night a score. Yeah. Just right. kind of a, an incidental, similar to the way that Madi and, and the other fives are for Michigan State. He's just not a very important part of their offense. But Michigan State really struggled 
at times in that first half, let's call it the second 10 minutes of the first Mm -hmm. half with pick and roll defense and USC smartly started slipping Morgan and got a lot of dunks and and layups. And then he he got rolling enough that he was actually able to hit a couple mid-range jumpers, which is also something he's not supposed to do. Um, So that was the one breakdown that Michigan State had. But I'm not going to focus on that. And then they solved it in the second half. They were much better. And, and wouldn't you say, too, before you go further, I mean, he finishes his game with 14 points, well above his average, but he was the leading scorer for SC. And I think that in the, that alone Huge is the story, problem. right? If, yeah. if he's your leading scorer, if you're yep. relying on him, it's like if Michigan State relied on Mati Sissoko. I mean, he, Mati might score a dozen points, but if he's your leading scorer, you're going to lose the game for sure. Probably, yeah. Um, the job that they did on Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson was fantastic. And that goes along with what you were just saying. If you're going to bottle up those guys, you're going to have a hell of a chance to beat USC. And that's exactly what we saw. Now I want to pull up the exact, they they were seven for 22 and one for seven from three that there it is. I mean, that's your, that's your ball game. Um, Boogie Ellis, especially man. And, and you did, I think one thing we got right, you saw, especially as that second half just started to unfurl and it was obvious that Michigan state was just not going to let USC run much of what they were trying to run. You saw USC start to break stuff off and try to make one-on-one plays, right? Yep. Ellis especially. And just the job that, and he's again, a guy who can make those plays count. He can turn those into positives for his team. He's fully capable. But Michigan State just guarded the hell out of him. Tyson Walker and Jade Nakins were the two guys. They were both locked in. Uh, just fantastic. And then Hogard and, and Malik Hall on Drew Peterson. Almost yeah. as good. Uh, Peterson had a couple things go his way early in the game. And, and then from there, it was pretty much zip. I mean, they... What did he end up? So he ended up with 11, 11 points, points at 410. But yeah, a lot of that damage was done early in that game. Yeah. They really, yeah. they really shut his water off in the second half too. You know, and so if you take those things, all those things into account. So Alice and Peterson are largely locked up. Morgan has the game of his life in, in part because he was able to exploit a, an overplay. Michigan State was making for a segment of the game, not the entirety of it, thankfully. After that, it was guys hitting shots who aren't supposed to hit them. Right, like Reese, I mean, like Dixon Kobe, Waters was Kobe two for John, four. Right, and that's a guy who's a sub-30% shooter. So, okay, yeah. you're going to let, you know, Harrison Hornery hit that bank shot late. That shouldn't <laughs> really even count. But yeah, um, And then the one guy was Kobe Johnson was three for seven, and he's one of their better shooters. But, you know, other than that, it was it was a pretty solid job by Michigan State, and I don't think there's any doubt that where this game was won was in the defensive job Michigan State did, particularly in the second half, where they just bottled USC up. USC got nothing easy. They didn't get comfortable looks. Even some of the ones they made were, you know, difficult, high, difficult shots well-contested shots. And sometimes a guy's going to make those. Okay. You tip your hat and that's that, but, um, very, very impressive. And so good to see from MSU 
uh, in this game. I thought, obviously, as we mentioned, the individual defense was great. But then that connectivity thing we, we talked about. When a guy would turn the start to turn the corner to get into the lane, you saw great help defense principles for the most part by Michigan State. And that was across the board. All their all their big guys were were really dialed in. You didn't see, you know, every once in a while there was a blown tire, but consistently, and again, especially in the second half, Michigan State was just really, really locked in. And that's where yeah. they won the game. I mean, yep. they did very, some very really focused. good things did some really good things offensively too, which we'll get to, but um, to me, it, it starts with the defense. And if they can play this kind of defense, they have a chance against anybody, including Sunday. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You, you definitely felt, especially in the second half that Michigan state, it, it kind of reminds me of in football, you know, where it seems like the defense is, is expect, it knows exactly what the play is going to be like almost mm-hmm. like they're stealing signals. Yep. And you felt like that a lot of times, like they, they sort of knew, okay, it's this guy, he's going to try and, you know, drive right or whatever. They, it, they were anticipating things are getting steals, even on the break yes. when USC yes. tried to have that one break, Malik Hall just stepped in front of it. I mean, he, it's almost like they were just playing. The game was definitely slower for them than it was for USC. Like, you know, they just were able to anticipate and react a lot faster. And I don't know if that's just the fact they were just so focused and just play, paying attention and really connected, or if it was a matter of film or, you know, maybe some combination. That on the latter. Um, now, they've still got to go out and execute it. But, you know, you heard uh, we had in our episode with, with Eric Coleman. He talked about it and he's been in those rooms that was under Judd, but it's, you know, the, the, all the principles are been carried forward into Izzo's program. Yeah, right. And we hear this all the time about Izzo. In fact, we're going to talk about it when we preview the Marquette game. There is a reason that Tom Izzo is by my count. I think I've got the number right. 23 and seven in second games of a weekend over his career. That's a record that isn't an accident. And you also have to take into account, and I didn't go through and count it up how many times he's been the lower seeded team in that 23 and seven, but I'm going to guess it's a large enough amount that it says something about the level of preparation as opposed to just, hey, they just had the better team and, you know. That's it. Right. You roll yeah. out if the you're balls. the one seed, you expect to win. Right. right. Whatever. But, there have yeah. certainly been examples of that, but I'm going to guess that a, a largish amount of, of those wins and probably, you know, the majority of the losses have come. Now we can, we can think, I can think of that Syracuse loss in 2018 was one the other direction, but that's been rare. That's been very, very rare. Usually it goes the other way. Um, yeah, so, uh, I think it is preparation and I will tell you that most of the, the general rule over the years that I don't think it's changed very much in coaching. Um, and I think Eric mentioned this also in our episode is that the big 10 has a reputation of being yeah. the league with the best scouting. And, and part of that is because over the years, the quality of coaching has been very high. But it's also that the resources that are available to you are, are greater than at some other places. Um, and, and I think it, it, it doesn't always show up, but it often shows up. And, you know, we're, we're looking, we've guys, we're recording this. There's still two more Big Ten games to go. But 
uh, Indiana and Purdue, I'll be surprised if they don't both win their first round game. I know a lot of people are picking Kent State as a possible uh, popular upset pick, but I'm going to go yeah, with IU. Weird. If they win that, yeah. those two teams win that, the Big Ten 6-2 and two in the first round. And that, and that was with a lot of 8, 9, 7, Yeah, 10 like 50-50 games. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this year, at least, I think so far we've seen it. Um, specific to Michigan State, it is definitely a thing. And I think that in this case, you're right. It seemed to me Michigan State had a much better idea of what USC wanted to do than vice versa. I mean, you saw Michigan State was able to get Joey Hauser free for several three-point attempts. Yeah. Now, that's tough to shut off completely anyway, but some of those, they were just, <laughs> that it shouldn't happen, you know? And so I just tend to think, and USC is going to have to get up to speed because Soon enough, they're going to be our Big Ten <laughs> brethren, so they better learn yeah. from this. But, um, yeah, I think Michigan State was really dialed in. You're right about the second half. You had Malik with one. You had A.J. had one uh, where he, he stole a, a cross-court pass and took it for a layup at the other end. I mean, there were, there were a lot of those that seemed like they were products of the scouting report. But, again... The bottom line is, of course, your players have to execute that stuff. It does no good for the coaches sure. to call it out and show you a Michigan State really, really was dialed in. I mean, I, I keep going back and Izzo kept saying it in his post games. If, if people listen to this, if the only time you saw Boogie Ellis was today, I can forgive you for thinking, well, what was the big deal? <laughs> yeah, right. That kid is a scoring machine and Michigan State shut him down. I mean, locked him up and it was one of the better individual jobs defending an individual opponent that I can recall in recent years. It was top, top notch. I'd put it yeah, up. They, in fact, I'd put it up there. You know what? One, it kind of reminds me of a little bit was last season uh, in the win over Purdue at Breslin, the job that AJ Hogarth did on Jade Nivey in that game. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, that reminds me of that. It, That's the and, last one, and not even, and not even that many attempts too. I mean, he had twelve attempts, which is, I guess, a lot, but there were a lot of really t tough ones, especially late. I mean, well, he shot yeah. twenty. There's he shot twenty five percent. He's he averages forty four percent and eighteen points, and you know he was totally shut down. That's the thing. The reason. The reason for those shots being attempted, and I mentioned how you could see later in the game, he started to break some stuff off. I think yeah. it was frustration. Yep, It was frustration at not ever being able to get loose for clean looks. And when that happens, when you're a scorer, sometimes, and especially a guy like him who is, as we talked about, is a bad shot maker. Um you start to get it in your head. Hey, I got to find a way to get, I got to yeah. get myself on track. I just got to discern what's really bad. Yeah. I've got to force it. I got to force the action and try to make something happen. And today that just wasn't going to get it done. Not with the way Michigan state guarded him. Well, let's talk just globally before we get into specific players. Let's talk globally about the, the offensive end of the floor too, for Michigan state. So, you know, one of the, this is, this was the number two, two-point percentage defense in a country yeah. uh, with USC, and Michigan State just tore them to pieces. I mean, it was 
they had well, how many points in the paint do they have? Thirty-two, 32. points in the paint. What a, they and, won it thirty-two uh, to twenty. Yeah, I mean it wasn't even close, and uh, and really easy looks. I mean, really they were able to penetrate the lane. They got switches, and Walker was able to take them uh, take it to the hole a couple times, as well as AJ, and then. Just really, uh, they just dissected that defense and, and did not make it seem as um, as tough. And they didn't seem as athletic and long as I would have expected them to, just because they just were, again, I think it, it, it felt just like on defense that they just were sort of a step ahead of USC and just had, they knew what USC was going to do before they did it. Well, here's, here's what happened. And again, I go back to our preview. Um, I spent a lot of time watching USC games. And most of what I saw was USC um, playing drop coverage. I did occasionally see them with hard hedges, but more than more consistently, I saw drop coverage. This game, they were very aggressive on the perimeter. They were hard hedging consistently, and then their guards were playing a high line. And, and why was that? We did talk about this possibility. You know, remember, USC over the course of the year gave up a lot of three-point attempts. That's what they were known for. They were elite against twos. This game, flip it. Michigan State only gets 14 three-point attempts. They hit five of them. So not quite their normal shooting. Not a disaster, but not quite their normal caliber of shooting. Um, But Michigan State just tore them up at the rim. Yeah. Michigan State made the adjustment to USC's adjustment. USC, as I say, got very aggressive and and not a bad idea strategically from Andy Enfield. No. Um, the idea was try to do what a team like Ohio State did in the Big Ten tournament. What we saw Illinois able to do. We talked about that probably the best comparison for this USC team in the Big Ten was Illinois. Because they had kind of similar length, right. And so I think they were taking a page from those books and say, look, we're going to sell out to take away the threes. And then if Michigan State can beat us inside the arc, so be it. But we're going to run them off the line. Well, they did. What they were unable to do then was stop Michigan State once they got aggressive. Across the board in their perimeter group, Hogard, Walker, and Aikens, all three of them, and really, I'll add a fourth in Trey Holloman because he did have that one occasion where he penetrated and USC chose not to guard him and he pulled up from 15 feet and drained it. Yeah. Um, but Michigan State's guards were outstanding attacking the basket. It meant Michigan State ended up with an advantage at the free throw line, which is not something we count on. I'm talking about attempts, not makes. But but they did, <laughs> they did have an advantage there. And they were also converting at a high rate. And sometimes even when they didn't convert, they left opportunities there for putbacks. Not Michigan State got a ton of them, but they had enough that counted. Uh, It was a really, really good job of adjusting and taking what the defense gives you. It surprised me a little bit just because normally, and this is, probably in in part a product of watching so much Michigan State basketball over the years. I don't expect teams that are at this point in the season where they're good enough to have gotten to the tournament, they're in the tournament now. Normally, I expect teams in that situation 
to approach a game from the perspective of, well, this is what we do and who we are. And we're going to go out and try to do what we do to the best of our ability. I don't expect teams to change it up very drastically, you know, and, and USC did, they played it differently than they normally have this season, but that then in turn puts the onus on Michigan state. Okay. What are you going to do? They're they're doing what they can to sell out, take away open looks from three. What are you going to do? Well, you saw the answer and it was brilliant. And MSU's guards where I thought AJ Hogard, his numbers weren't like knockout numbers today, but I thought he he played a great game. thought he played a great great. game. I thought Tyson Walker, you know, something we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but you're, you're starting to see this come with Tyson Walker especially late in the season. I think it's been going on quietly and we haven't always realized it, but we're getting word about it more consistently. Now there was a moment in that Nebraska game where, uh, during the point when Nebraska had things going on, I think it might've been right after Tominaga hit that three where he started running down the court, you know, he released (laughs) and turned around and that's when they were rolling shortly after that, the camera caught Tyson Walker during Michigan state's possession. Uh, turning Tominaga and and telling him to shut the fuck up, <laughs> and he said it to him twice. And then, of course, Michigan State went on and rolled in that game. In this game, that you remember that segment where um, Tyson drew the offensive foul, he got shoved. By, yeah, uh, oh, yeah that was, was crazy. Was Boogie Ellis or somebody else, and he landed on his elbow. Well, apparently after that, he was walking by the USC bench and he was going at it. According to the sideline reporter, he was talking to them. Tyson has an edge to him that I think has always been there. But I think last season, we've talked about it so many times. Yeah, He's more reserved. He needed time to adjust to this level. But I think now he is convinced he's the baddest man on the court and (laughs) he plays with that edge, which is what you expect from the stereotypical New York city point guard or New York Mm -hmm. city lead guard, which is more along the lines of what he's been this year. Um, But man, when he plays with this kind of attitude and AJ's rolling and Jaden Akins, I thought played an outstanding game, even though the three wasn't dialed in for him in this game, everything else was, we, we have not seen quite that kind of aggressiveness from him in getting to the rim all season long. And, and the way the last he time I can remember that kind of dunk, uh, that dunk. And then it might've been Villanova. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, and, then, last and then he, he had that, the yeah. other play, which was even more impressive in my mind, which was a lay in and drew the foul. It was more impressive because it went through all that contact. Yeah. But he got up just as high on that one. And then the way he rebounded at times too. That one possession, the two offensive rebounds in a row. Yep. And then, and then add in on that, that he was sharing the job with Tyson and guarding Boogie Ellis. I mean, those three guys just had themselves a game. That is what we're talking about. We're talking about Michigan state's guards being the key to everything. This game was an example of both ends of the court, but offensively and specific, I think it was the way all three of those guys dealt with what USC was trying to take away and were able to exploit that. Yep. And then Joey had a quiet 17 points, four for six from three (laughs) came with eight rebounds and uh, assistant a turnover. I mean, 
steady Eddie. He is, he is something you just can count on at this point in the season. And, yep. and just like you mentioned a couple of games ago, he, when he rises up and it's a clean, like a really clean look, it is like a layup. Now you, you just, just expect you, you're it shocked to if it doesn't go through. You yeah. just expect it to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what, what more can you say about him than just, he is consistently there giving his team what he gives them, um, at every turn. And, you know, let's talk just briefly about Mati Sissoko and then also Carson Cooper and even Jackson Kohler. I mean, at the five spot, which is, you know, yep. the weakness everyone you know, points out all the time in this team. And they're not like, uh, I don't want to make it sound like they're that the, the combination of them are some sort of super dominant force, but especially when Mati, I was shocked. Were you as surprised as I was when Mati dribbled from what is it like at the key or something all the way down and just dunked? Yeah. Fake, I, hand, that all season. Up, I mean, no. those guys at the, the bench have got to look at each other like that was not in the film. <laughs> we that's never right. saw them that's, before. That's right. Yeah. Look, I think if you want to total it up uh, in terms of point production, USC gets like a, I have to believe a season or near season best out of Morgan. So if you count Morgan and Kajani Wright, they got 15 points and six boards out of their center spot. Whereas Michigan State, got 12 points and 10 boards out of it. So that's, that's at the very least, that's a push Yeah, at the five spot. Now that's what you expected coming into the game because USC doesn't really use their five spot either. But the point is even on a day where USC got great production offensively out of their center, MSU's group was still able to play them straight up. Um, Mati had one of those highs and lows games. Yep. He had some, and I don't just mean the dunks. He had some really strong rebounds early in that game. I thought there were phases where he was great in pick and roll defense. And then there were those moments in the first half, especially where he just kind of broke down hard to understand why. Um, but, uh, but be that as it may, you know, it was kind of an up and down day for him. Jackson didn't play very much. The one shot he got was a beautiful move. And I still oh, think yeah. we're going to see against Marquette, but you know, depending upon how far Michigan state goes, I still think there's an opportunity, um, in this tournament for Jackson Kohler to catch somebody by surprise and bust out eight or 10 points on them in short order because yeah. they don't, they don't really know who he is. They haven't really dialed into who he is. <laughs> But that play showed, you know, exactly what you want out of Jackson. It was just a great move, little fadeaway jumper on the baseline, money. But that Carson Cooper was really the guy who I think is going to get most of the attention, and rightly so. Um, uh, he, and we've seen this from him before. Yeah. But it's just, it's one of these things where it's the matchups and, you know. Um, the day? Just the day of the that week, day, right? I mean, he just, right. For whatever is reason, he going to play just, a lot or not? But he yeah. hasn't been playing very much lately and uh and he did today he played 13 minutes which is the most he's played in a long time and boy was he productive and not just the scoring i mean the scoring's cool but he rebounded you know four rebounds in 13 minutes that's that's the clip you want to see um i thought defensively he was really good he was consistent in pick and roll defense in a way that Mahdi was not um, and it is something that we know he's got the capability of giving Michigan state. I just look, 
you could talk about the five as, as something that hasn't been a, a big positive for MSU this year. And nobody's going to argue with that. But if you don't see the potential in this group, I, I don't know what to tell you because I'm pretty yeah. sure Jackson Kohler and, and Carson Cooper in particular have a lot of growth in front of them. And no, it doesn't happen in a purely progressive way. There are fits and starts with young players, but a day like today, especially from Carson, you have to be really, really positive about what the future holds for these guys. You know, and I saw somebody on Twitter, might have been, I don't know who it was, uh, what media member it was that tweeted this out, but might have been Graham Couch, actually. Uh, he mentioned Julius Marble. And uh, I can't remember the kid, uh, somebody who was considered by someone to be the best, uh, the best center in the portal this year was a guy MSU opted not to recruit oh, guy from Iowa state. There you go. And yeah, the center. Yeah. And uh, combined those two players <laughs> had nine points and two rebounds in their first round losses. Well, Michigan state got what they got six and four out of Carson Cooper alone yeah. today, who, by the, the way, yeah. is a guy that if Michigan state had either retained Julius marble, which was not in their control, um, yeah. or had added somebody in the portal, they don't add Carson Cooper. They just don't. Um, so funny how it works out sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I was also impressed too with Madi and at the very end of that, the half a lot of you know the diving on the floor and he forced yep. that one turnover he didn't get the credit for that steal but he was definitely part of that with the um where they're trying to screen around him and and he poked it loose or something i think it ended up being the steal probably got credited well, he but. look he played he played with a lot of energy now Izzo also mentioned that he thought some of that slip screen difficulty was because Madi was getting tired. He didn't think they did a great job in the rotations. Sure. That might be, that might be true, but I thought generally speaking, when Madi was out there, he played with a ton of energy and that's, that's, that's what I want to see, you know, but uh, those guys as a group, good day for them. That's just how I see it. Yeah. The other offensive stat, which, you know, with fast break points, Michigan State with eight and USC with zero. Uh, and, and I don't think, Maybe two of them came off of, a, I don't remember them coming off of turnover specifically, but you know, there's that one where, where Aikens had that dunk yep. right after a made basket, the blitz. And then I, they definitely look to run. I mean, it, it's funny because you want, we all know it's there, but we just haven't seen it for so long. And, and it, and they are capable <laughs> and for I think sure. USC sort of knew it, but they, again, you just, until you see it actually live, I think you don't really have a good feel for how fast it is to get down that court. And, you know, and there was, there was something else too, um, which I think is interesting because it cuts against prevailing narratives around this team. And I'm not even going to say that the prevailing narratives were entirely wrong. Um, those of us who have watched this team all year long, I don't think we would describe this as a team that plays with a lot of physicality. And I think a lot of that's because there is a standard for that at Michigan state that this team has not met. You know, we all, I think most Michigan state fans know what we think physical play looks like, you know, yeah. and it has not been a strong suit of this team. But Steve Lapis, not only during the game itself, but I heard him say it again during the Marquette Vermont game. 
he was really struck live. He said, watching it on TV, it doesn't give you enough of an appreciation for what this team is like, how physically they can play. And he felt like it really showed up against USC. And that might be another reason, honestly, why the second half went the way it did. That used to be a trait of, of Tom Izzo teams. And, I, and I'm talking about even bef- before the um, freedom of movement emphasis and, you know, when they used to allow chucking in the, in the middle of the lane, um, right. the stuff that they've, they've legislated out of the game. But usually the equation for MSU was you just put it on them physically for the first 30 minutes and over the last 10 or so it's going to show up kind of the way that like in football, people talk about a running game, yeah. you know, just consistently pounding, or if you've got a dominant offensive line, you just keep coming and coming and coming. And eventually you're going to wear that opposition out and they're going to cave. And that used to be the equation for Michigan state. We, we haven't seen it as much in recent years, just because I think, it's hard for anybody to really play that way, given the way the game is called now. But um, I do think maybe there's something to, at this time of year against these teams, now it wouldn't be the case against everybody, but I do think when I look at this matchup that Michigan State got both today's game and then again on Sunday, Michigan State probably is the more physical team in these games. And so what we don't think of as a particular strength of this group actually is a bit of a strength relative to the teams they're facing. Yeah. Right. And I want to, before we move on, I I do want to talk about one more guy we haven't mentioned and that's Malik call. I thought, I thought Malik, you know, Izzo talked about it and he was really happy with the way Malik played. And, and, you know, we've, this is something that's known to probably everybody who listens to this um, because in large part, I think because of the injury problems he's had uh, it's been hard for Malik to find any consistency. He's, he's tried clearly, but he has, there was an article uh, earlier this week about it. And, you know, basically what he copped to is, and it makes sense to anybody who's ever had a foot injury, I think, There are good days and bad days. There are days where it doesn't bother him that much. And then there are days where it gets to him. And that game against Ohio state in the big 10 tournament was a bad day. And, you know, I think a lot of people noticed that he didn't seem to really be himself in terms of how he was moving. Well, today I thought he moved well. And that helped defensively. He was really good against Drew Peterson when he was guarding him. And then offensively, you know, it's still not a hundred percent there. But there was a play that Izzo talked about in the post game that he was thrilled by. And if you remember, there was a moment where Malik went into the middle of the lane and hit a jump hook. Mm-hmm. He had tried yeah, one right. earlier, came up short, but then the second time he converted it. And Izzo said they've been working with him on that. And, and Izzo's been trying to get him to have confidence in going to that because he's got a good one. He's got good touch. And he said, you know, especially a game like this, USC with Morgan inside, he said, this is not a game where backing your guy down and then going to the spin move is going to produce the results you want because they've got shot blockers. And sure enough, he did get one rejected. Um, But he said the hook shot is a lot harder to stop. And so he was really happy to see that for Malik's confidence and also because it was showing Malik 
actually translating what they've been trying to do in the gym to the court and doing it successfully. Yeah. And I guess we talked about AJ, but I think just a little more specifically, I mean, he was really, really good. And I think the fact that he was so, uh, he was so in command of that entire game. Like he yeah. was, there was never a portion of there where you felt like he had, he had lost focus. And I yep. thought he was from a body language and also from the way he interacted with his teammates, he was very positive and he was, I, everything about it was like you, you is what you want to see all the time from AJ. Absolutely. Because he is, he can be, you can see definitely the signs of the leadership and the, the kind of guy who could take this team to levels. I mean, who knows? He could go in, anywhere with this, with the way he was playing and the way he led that team emotionally and, you know, um, on the floor. This defense and this A.J. Hogarth that we saw today, in this college basketball season, I put no cap on what Michigan State can do. Yeah. Uh, if they get that. Now, those are big, big ifs. <laughs> but if they get that, there's nobody out there they can't play with. I feel confident in that. I'm not going to say, oh, they beat anybody. No, I'm not saying their A game trumps anybody else's A game. But if they get this kind of connectivity on defense and that kind of A.J. Hogard running the show, I'll roll the dice with them. Put anybody in for, out there in front of them. I'll roll the dice with Michigan State. I'll take my chances if I can get that. Yeah, I think you definitely feel that he is best when there are – when there are a lot of doubters and I think, and when they're not huge favorites, I think he's, he's less likely to pick casually and to be more focused. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, hopefully now remember he played really well in last season's NCAA tournament as well. Yep. So, mm -hmm. you know, he may, it may be that he's a guy that just kind of figures it out when, yeah. when it's this time of year, when you're one and done and everything's on the line, every possession matters and is magnified. Uh, you know, sometimes it's mindset is, is a crucial deal. And it could be that it just locks in for him in that way. Let's hope so. But I, yeah, yeah I thought, I thought he, you know, for a game where he really didn't produce huge numbers. I mean, his assist numbers weren't even massive. I think he had five. But it felt yep. so much better than that. He just, he felt, and, and again, he had to sit for a long stretch too, which also suppressed those numbers. Uh, let's just real quickly talk about that third foul. That was so <laughs> badly. I mean, when, when Gene Steratore gets on there and say, yeah, this should be reversed to a no call. And then they insist on staying with the foul. Here's the thing that they didn't say that I thought upon watching it, maybe should have been thought about as the call. Not only should it have not have been a foul on Hogard, in my mind, it probably should have been a foul on USC. One of two ways. Either yeah, call the flop or mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is the reason AJ's arm was up <laughs> at that angle yeah, anyway yeah. was a hook and hold. Yeah. Maybe not the hold part. Definitely the hook part. And, and that should have been a foul. So, boy, you want to talk about just botching a call nine ways to Sunday that those guys did it on that one. And they and they had the benefit of, of, of replay and still blew it. And that's the part I it just blows my mind. It is college officiating, and we've seen that before. So I guess the fortunate thing is, well, I think, you know, the, the one thing it shows you is what the, you saw throughout the entire game anyway was the fact that you have an extremely versatile team. And 
it was it's very easy for us to look at Michigan State and say, oh, they have to hit lots of threes to do this, that, or the other thing. But that is because large in large part the rest of the Big Ten is, is so well scouted, right? They force yep. you to be kind of yep. to do what you don't do well. <laughs> you, That's unless right. you like put That's unless right. you press it. And so uh, Michigan State decided they could win a different way, and they they've been for, they've been able to do that this season, uh, even though so it it makes them I think a much more dangerous team. Even I even appreciate it because for one thing, we know they have a transition game they just don't use very often because they didn't have many opportunities. They had some today, which helped you know make get some easy buckets, and then they had the ability to get twos in a variety of ways, and then the threes when they needed them too. So you know they are a tough team to sort of take everything away from. And and even they even got some offensive rebounds too. I mean, they weren't. It wasn't like dominating, but it was actually decent. Well, we you know it's a it's a very common refrain over the years from Michigan State fans, Michigan State people, with good reason that you just you want to get to the NCAA tournament because it comes on the backs of about usually nine weeks or so of nothing <laughs> but Big Ten play. And we know how this goes, you know, you're going to play in a lot of slower paced, low possession kind of games. And they're just death, you know, death marches. It's just, <laughs> they, they never, you never feel um, that you can get loose in those games. Yeah. The intensity no flow sometimes. And, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just the nature of it. And part of it is because of how well scouted it is. Part of it is because big 10 teams in particular, I think tend to be really good defensively with a few notable exceptions, but generally speaking, you're most nights in the big 10, you're going up against a pretty high quality defense. Um, you know, and so the, these things matter. And then you get into the tournament and you're facing these teams that don't play that way. I mean, USC, we, we talked about it. this is a team that statistically was overall decent defensively and really good at the thing you're supposed to be able to control the most, which is two point defense. Yeah. Didn't matter because I think in part, again, because they adjusted the way that they tried to play and Michigan state in turn said, okay, you're going to take that away. It means you're giving us this. We're going to take it. And they did, and they converted, and it, it was a big part of winning them the game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a team that lives in large part, or at least in some part, at least with the with blocks, and they had two blocks. I mean, you say had more blocks than them, three to yep. two. You know, yep. Marty Soka had two of his own. That's an important and, point, and, too, that, that not only was MSU aggressive in going to the rim, but they did it. They executed they weren't just driving into rejections, you know, and, and that was, that was really, really impressive. I mean, there was one play I thought really kind of highlighted the whole deal. AJ, it wasn't a big deal, but it, it symbolized some things to me where AJ went down the lane and didn't shy away from Morgan in the slightest, went right yeah. into his chest and drew the foul. Um, that's exactly how you need to attack a guy like that. And Michigan state often this year doesn't do that. Their guys look to kind of hook shot the ball around half hook it around a shot blocker mm -hmm. or finesse yeah. it. There's not a lot of going through the chest of a guy 
and trying to get it done that way, which is the old school way of how you deal with a shot blocker. But we saw it from MSU today and yeah, with the mindset, the game plan, the execution, all great. Let's break for one moment here uh, from a word for our sponsors. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. All right, another uh, quick word from our sponsor from bro- the brothers that just do gutters. It is springtime. And if it's anything like it, I'm sure it was over on the west side or the east side of the state, like in the west side, we had a ton of rain and it made me that very thankful that I've got good gutters, especially when you have such wet ground right now, you want to make sure that water gets drained properly. So if you want someone who specializes in just gutter work, they can clean them out, they can repair them, they can replace them both commercially and uh, residential contact Kurt Stauffer and his team at the Brothers That Just Do Gutters. They will get there quickly. They can work in the winter. Uh, my wife's office actually had trouble with their gutters and they needed a fix. And they said, they, everyone they called, they, the people said, ah, well, it's, you know, it's winter. We don't do gutter work. <laughs> Kurt and his team, they will go there and take care of it as long as it's not dangerous. And they will t- get taken care of right away very quick. Uh, you get 10% off if you mention Final Four when you contact them at kurt.staufffer at brothersgutters.com. And you won't regret that. You have to be on the west side of the state, anywhere in the Grand Rapids area, all the way out to the lakeshore from Holland down uh, to Saugatuck, up to like the Grand Haven, Muskegon area, over to Rockford and Lowell. Uh, so let's talk about the keys of the game. And the first one is the threes, which, you know, very interesting. So we always talk about how Michigan State has to have threes. And I think if I think if we known that Michigan State was going to have five threes in the game, we'd be like, yeah, that's probably not enough. And that's going to, that's not enough offense are going to generate there. especially if you then said, well, a five of 14, which is not great. Um, yet it was enough. And USC got seven threes out of 20 attempts and it wasn't, it wasn't overwhelming. So it was, it was enough. And again, it was, it did not be, it was not the key we expected to be because the way, like you mentioned earlier, this way USC was defending and just taking that specific thing away. But I, th- I think that, the way I would choose to characterize how this went was um, because USC was so cognizant of what Michigan state does from three, 
it caused them to give up some things they don't normally give up. Yeah. And Michigan State was smart enough and focused enough to take advantage of that. And capable enough too, right? Like you could well, say what well, they yeah. could do, it, but, and right, some teams couldn't do, couldn't drive to the lane and get those uh, score that way either. Look, I mean, I think that, and and I am still, in general, of course, a, a believer in the idea of Michigan State's guards having a distinct advantage in at least the vast majority of games they play, but. Mm-hmm. One thing you can criticize them for outside of AJ, um, I don't, and sometimes even him, I don't think they take, I don't think they get as much out of the off the dribble game as they could. I think they've got, you know, they've got generally good screeners in the pick and roll. And then all three of those guys who start, are all fully capable, as we saw today, of taking the ball to the basket and finishing. Finishing through traffic, finishing through contact, or just blowing by people and just finishing, period. Um, they They all have that as a capability, and I don't think we see it enough. I particularly, to be honest, somebody like Jay Makins, because what separates Jaden from the other two guys is what you saw on a couple of occasions today. Yeah. Jade Nakins has, we have not had a guy. I'll go this. I said it when he was recruited, but it's true. It's still true. We have not seen a guy in Tom Izzo's program who has the complete package of things that Jaden Nakins possesses because Jaden has a good handle. It needs to get better, but it's still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he combines that with good strength and exceptional athletic ability. So Tyson Walker is very, very fast and a, and a solid leaper. He's a good leaper, but he's not a Jay Nakins leaper. And he's about three or four inches shorter. Yeah. AJ Hogard, probably a better athlete than people would think looking at him, but he's not a great, super explosive athlete. Jay Nakins should be able to finish against anybody. He should be able to go into the lane and be fearless. I don't care if Edie's out there. I don't care who it is. He has the kind of physical tools that should allow him to finish against anybody. And we don't see it from him often enough. So that was really encouraging about this game is that those opportunities were there and Michigan state was aggressive and assertive in going after them and then converted them just to bring it full circle. And those opportunities were there because USC really feared Michigan state's three point game. So even though they didn't produce a ton in it, it created opportunities they were able to exploit. It probably also explains the fact they didn't have any, as many blocks because they were spread out more yep. than and Absolutely. protecting the, the basket as like usual. Uh, so the second key to the game is defensive connectivity. We talked about this quite a bit. I mean, they were, they were great. I don't know that we need to say much more about that. Yeah. What did USC, uh, 41%, I think from the floor as a yeah, team, they're 41% for the floor, but they were, you know, they were 34 and a half, 34.3% in the second half yep. and 50% exactly. from the first half. Yeah. Exactly. So that was, that's where you realized. And they only had two free throw attempts in the second half and six in the first half. I mean, that, that just showed, that just tells a little bit of the story that they were unable to penetrate and get to the, uh, get to the rack. Yeah, it was, uh, look, it was, it was, it was a masterclass defensively in that second half. 
again, the, the, both the individual one-on-one defense that was played and then when needed, the way guys were connected together and that help was provided top notch. Yeah. So the next key to the game was the glass USC, not a good rebounding team, Michigan state, good defensive rebounding team, really bad offensive rebounding team. And this was a push. This is kind of, you know, it's 28, 26 USC at the edge, but you know, someone pointed out, I think somewhere that they got four rebounds at the very end of the game on those four missed free throws by Michigan state. And so, you know, in some ways Michigan state had more rebounds. Uh, they both had eight offensive rebounds. USC had a 23 and a half percent offensive rebounding rate, which is good for uh, good for Michigan state. And Michigan state had 26.7% offensive rebounding percentage, which is not that great either. But you know, respectable, I guess. So it was a push, which was important that there was that they weren't giving USC a lot of extra opportunities. It was, yeah, it was important that they didn't have a really freakish performance. Right. But to be honest, you know, the, when we talked about this, the games where where that has happened, those rare occasions where MSU's just gotten tattooed on the offensive glass. They have not happened typically where it's a team that you look at and say, well, this team's mediocre or worse. And then they just came in and killed you. It's been Rutgers, Purdue, Iowa, all very, very good offensive rebounding teams. And then a Michigan team that statistically wasn't so good, but was doing better by that point in the season because they were going with that Twin Towers look. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. It was Reed at the four who really hurt them down the stretch of that game. So there've always been, it's been easier to understand. It would have been very difficult to understand it in a game like this. And we didn't see it happen. Fortunately, Michigan state did a solid job. And I agree. It was largely a push, which is a little disappointing in the sense that USC is just such a bad rebounding team. You'd like to think you could carve out at least a little edge, but I'll take the push. Yeah. I mean, at some points, you know, USC is getting desperate at the end and they were just like going all in, which a lot of little more opportunities in the offensive end for Michigan state too, probably. Um, and then, you know, the, the fourth key to the game was AJ. We already talked about him. He was great. He was great. Yeah. yeah. He's great at both ends of the ball and you know, had a good command for the game. He was, he was the, the penultimate general in that game for the yep. team. You could ask for more from him really. Uh, the final key of the game was the environment. You know, Michigan State obviously more familiar with the NCAA tournament. They've been there, you know, a bunch of years in a row. Uh, obviously, it's in the Eastern Time Zone. USC had to travel. I didn't. I mean, at least from what I could watch and gather, it didn't seem like there was any sort of advantage from USC. Didn't look tired. They didn't look like they, you know, were out of sorts. They went. They actually and they left, left real early, like Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. So they did everything they could to mitigate that. No, I think, look, I mean, I, I, I don't think it was decisive, but I think it was very helpful for Michigan state to have that crowd. And there's no question. Sure. They had a distinct advantage. They're going to have a distinct advantage on Sunday too. That much is clear to me. I mean, Marquette is a basketball school with a, with a rabid fan base, but it's a small school. Yeah, it's smaller. They're only able to bring, yeah, they're only able to bring so much to the table. Uh, Given the Michigan State turnout for this one, I would expect it will be that strong or stronger on Sunday with a spot in the Sweet 16 um, at stake. And uh, so that's that's nothing but a a good thing for MSU. And I thought, I thought in this game, when they got on a roll in that second half and started to push it out, 
it felt the way you hope a crowd would feel um, when you think you should have an advantage. Yeah. You know, right. that's what came sure. through. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, and you'd almost expect the crowd to be a little bigger because I do think the way that the way they won the performance was encouraging that I think it would encourage yeah. more people to come to the game. Like yeah. it wasn't like, Oh, we just squeaked by, or we did play poorly, but you know, USC was just as bad or something like that. I mean, it was, a, it was the point where I think that people are going to be excited about this team and to see the possibilities, right? I think you can see that this team could do some things and that's, well, that's what I'm, Tom Izzo has been saying for months, but and he, he said it again today. He yeah. said it again today <laughs> that he has always felt never be said some years he doesn't do it, but this team, he always felt, had the potential for a run in it. He still feels that way. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think the other thing that's interesting about the dynamic on Sunday, I, I mean, obviously Marquette is a team very worthy of respect. They're a number two seed for a reason. They won the big East, both regular season and conference tournament that, right. that alone, you know, you do that, you're a good team. Um, and Marquette as a program obviously has history. I'm old enough to remember it. One of the, one of the first game, probably the first college basketball game I have a vivid memory of was Al McGuire winning the national title against North Carolina in 1977. Um, so I can, and Marquette was still really good for a few years after that. And then, you know, went through a period where they were only sporadically. Okay. But they've been mostly good for the last 20 years or so, basically since yep. Crane got there through, through Tom Crane, Buzz Williams, uh, Wojciechowski, they maybe weren't quite as good, but they were at least competitive and now Shaka smart. I guess my point is, yeah, they're a program with tradition. People know who they are and they've certainly had a very good year, but it, and let's be honest. It, it is psychologically, I'm talking about to the average fan that would be thinking about buying a ticket, driving to Columbus, right? It feels different. It, it's not like you're facing Kansas. Well, it's a two seven matchup like last year. Last year was Duke and this year right. was Marquette. But, but I guess yeah. my point is for fan psychology, when you talk about, well, the way that they played mattered, I think that's true, but I also think. And, and again, this may, this probably isn't fair from a basketball point of view. I'm just talking about from a psychology point oh, of view. Yeah, for if sure. you're, yeah. if MSU is in a two, seven game, but it's Kansas, or like you said, it's Duke or it's Carolina in a normal year, or, you know, UCLA, somebody, which could have been this year. Um, you probably have a little more of a feeling like, yeah, this is going to be an uphill battle. They might be able to get it done, but this is a tough right. one. Fans. Right for better or for worse, are going to look at this one and think, eh, Marquette, yeah, we can get them. And I do happen to think Michigan State can get this Marquette team. They're good, but Michigan State can hang with Marquette, in my opinion. So, yeah, hopefully that's going to – I'm right about that, and that's going to mean that we have an even stronger Michigan State presence on Sunday because that would be that would be welcome. So let's talk about one other thing. It wasn't a key to the game, but I think we probably bears – uh, bears talking about just for a moment. It's the free throw shooting for Michigan state four for five in the first half, 11 for 20 in the second half. Obviously <laughs> USC was fouling at, at points, partly because Michigan state was aggressive earlier in that second half, but then later, of course they're fouling and Michigan state missing back to back to back uh, front ends of one and one good free throw shooters. AJ Hogard missing him. 
Joey Hauser. And I mean, it was definitely them being tight. It didn't end up mattering because USC couldn't score afterwards. So Michigan State finished the game 15 for 25 at 60%. Uh, you know, is that something to worry about? Do you think they just got that out of the system and they'll be better next time? At- free Look, free throw shooting is one of those things that you can always have a weird game like this one. And, and look, if Michigan State had lost this game because of it, then we would rightly point to it and say, boy, you know, when it mattered most, they just weren't able to step up there and hit them. Right. But if you're trying to look at, well, what is a team? What are they actually in this area of the game? You have numbers over the course of a season that tell you that. And what they tell you is that this Michigan State team is an outstanding free throw shooting team. Right. And I'll roll with them. I'm not one day does not really say much to me in terms of what they are. I don't, I don't think it means, Oh, AJ Hogarth can't deliver in the clutch. You know, they, yeah. they've got a guy shot 80 plus percent. Uh, same for, you know, Joey Hauser is close to 90%. Walker's a good free throw shooter. Hall Aikens are all good free throw shooters. So I, I don't know. I don't worry about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I would say, you know, you look at the end of the game and there's, of course, everyone remembers the Iowa game. There was, uh, which actually they shot free throws really well. I was going to say that missed. wasn't, that yeah. wasn't really the one they missed, missed right? free throws. But I would, but I, but I think, you know, when you look at the end of the game, you look at, is this team poised, right? And you never felt that that team was not, was lacking poise, except, you know, maybe they've missed some free throws, which would have totally iced the game a little bit sooner. But uh, that was the one thing that you would, that you would look to. And, but you never, at least me personally watching, I never felt like they looked like they were worried or frantic or, you know, like helter skelter. And that was, I think in large part, just AJ's presence. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, even Tyson Walker's and Joey Hauser, they, they looked like they were in command. And that was, even though they didn't have the free throws, cause that was one, that would be one sign that they didn't have the poise. They were missing free throws and, you know, other things are going wrong, but they didn't turn the ball over or anything like that, that right? And that's and that's something we haven't touched on at all that we should before we go. Uh, seven turnovers for the game. Now USC oh, yeah. is not a is not typically a ball hawking defense, but they were playing a little higher line defensively. They were a little more aggressive, and for Michigan State to end the game with seven turnovers, that's a really really and USC had eleven. That's a really really good number, and and that's one that it's going to be of increased importance without foreshadowing too much as we go into Sunday, because they're going to face a team that actually does ball Hawk and, and does set out as a goal, turning people over. So Michigan state's going to need to keep that level of performance, but that was a really good sign. And you're right. When you, when you play that way, it's, Regardless of what happened at the free throw line, it was indicative of the fact that they were actually able to step up to the moment. They weren't making, if they'd been missing free throws and mixing that in with turnovers, well, then you got a problem, but they didn't do that today. And I'd also point out, interestingly, Michigan State had 10 personal fouls in the entire game, which is pretty remarkable uh, you know, uh, for them. It's, <laughs> It's uh, not that I thought the officials did a hundred percent job. We talked about that terrible call on Hogard, but um, other than that, I, this happens sometimes. I think people, it's always struck me as strange. There seems to be because the last couple of seasons of NCAA performance by the conference 
has been substandard that there's this renewed as there always is people again human beings just love to think that there's an obvious cause and effect relationship in everything they want to believe it so badly you can't can't accept what's one of those things and no it doesn't really mean very much and no it doesn't establish a pattern people don't like accepting that one of the things i've seen talked about a lot especially the last couple of years is this idea that somehow the big 10 gets a light whistle that the games are much more physical than the number of fouls that are called. And then they get into the NCAA tournament and games are called much more tightly. And that's why big 10 teams have struggled. Historically, I see no justification for that at all. I can, in fact, I've felt for years, and I think most Michigan State fans would agree with me on this, and I'm saying this anecdotally, admittedly. I haven't gone back and combed through the data of every game, but generally speaking, my impression is in the NCAA tournament, Michigan State, at least the games Michigan State is playing in, there are fewer fouls called, and the game is played at much more of an uninterrupted smooth tempo you don't have this herky jerky stuff with a boatload of fouls being called that we oftentimes see in the big 10 i think big 10 games are called much much more closely you know yeah. if this game is an indication you say for sure right this well that's why that's what brings brings it to mind yeah when Mm -hmm. you when you when you mention that it that strikes me as very much in line with what we normally see I can't think of a lot of games over the years where I felt like, boy, that thing was just so tightly whistled that it just killed MSU's chances to win. Yeah, there are yeah. bad calls here and there, but not not kind of a systemically across the board kind of thing where you just feel like, um, boy, I wish we were back to, you know, Kelly Pfeiffer and uh you know, the rest of the clown, the clown brigade. Um, Skoroto, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I just want to couple, point out a couple of things. That those of you in the bracket challenge, make sure you check things out. And I think it's official. I, it's hey, not official my, yet, Rod. My but champion, I th- my champion was out in the first round <laughs> of I, Arizona. So you can take me off the list of potential winners. I will say <laughs> one of my other final four teams today uh, Xavier barely scraped by Kennesaw State, so I'm feeling really good about the rest yeah. of my brackets. It, it it is uh yeah. I think you sent me a text soon after you said I sent to lines of yeah. Just go ahead and stick a fork in me now. I think it's yeah, I'm out. <laughs> pretty much finished. Yeah, I would note that uh, Bracket Dom is I think tied for first in our in our bracket, or he's very just very close at least. Wow, so that's so interesting. So it's translating to actually picking winners. Well, Good hey, for him. it's early. It's early. Let's not get ex- get ahead right. of ourselves here. Uh, yeah, and it's it's so bad that actually I think you're losing to my wife. But I think you know you've got a chance. To well, I'm losing to your wife. <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, At least when I last we looked, both, we both were stupid enough to take Iowa, right? I just I picked him for one game, and she just picked him one game. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah, but she couldn't. She couldn't. She couldn't get it to the point where she's like, I don't think they'll win, but I I feel terrible if they won, and I didn't pick them at least one game. So. Uh, and actually Gabe and Brit- Gabe is also part of it from nudge printing, which I'd like to remind you that you can check out their, their gear. 
Uh, they make the gear for our show, so you can go to our collection through our um, the merchandise tab on our website, or you can just go to their website at the nudgeprinting.com. They have all sorts of uh, apparel, both hoodies and t-shirts, uh, other sweatshirts. Uh, you can get, they're all screen printed and there's high quality, super soft and very wearable. Uh, I've, it, I really like, love my stuff. I've, you know, that's what I used to get my spot to the final four. I was wearing their, their t-shirts and their sweatshirts on the court at Breslin center when I was hitting my free throws, uh, which was not nearly the clip that even Michigan state, even though we said they did poorly, I was much worse than them. Well, go ahead. Sorry. Gave Brittany. Yeah, no, that's all right. I mean, I, I was, uh, actually now I, my family just teases me. They're like, why is he missing his free throws? I'm like, well, he must look like me. I guess. I don't know. Um, they're, Nudge Print is owned and operated by Gabe and Brittany. They're MSU alums, make everything in the state of Michigan and Portland. Uh, So it's Michigan-based, founded in 2011, super high quality. Again, uh, five-star ratings, a million of those things. They make decals. I got one on my computer. They make wall uh, decals, they think, for your cornhole. They have all sorts of other Michigan schools outside of the University of Michigan. So Calvin, Alma, Central, Eastern, Northern, Western, Saginaw Valley, Lake State, Grand Valley, Oakland. You can check out all their stuff at their website. And when you do check out, make sure you type in final four at checkout to get 20% off your purchase. And if you send me a screenshot of a review to our show, which if you want, you get a $5 gift card and I will send it to you. Just email to me at eric at tffinots.com. But please leave a written review of our show on your podcast player of your choice. It helps other Spartan fans find the show. The show has been growing. Uh, it's grown a ton. I mean, since, uh, since last year and we, that credit goes to you guys and sharing it with your friends and making and other Spartan fans. So we really appreciate that. Continue doing that. If you have a Spartan friend who likes basketball, tell them about our show, make sure they get in, tuned in while we're still on this great uh, NCAA run, which boy, I feel like this is going to be, this is, this is just, you know, we get past Sunday. I'm going to start getting real excited about this team because I think we're maybe on the verge of something impressive. We'll see if they can duplicate well, it. Two I, will, days, two I will, games in a row. I will know not to get ahead of ourselves. Um, but, uh, <laughs> As we're recording this, there's a minute to play in the first half, and Purdue is down a point to Fairleigh Dickinson. <sighs> so the Boilers, I think they're two for 12 from three, right on track to yeah. do all the wonderful things people expected of them, <laughs> which is in, uh, in MSU's region. That's why I'm bringing it up. Right, yeah. And, I mean, you know, Kentucky has Providence later today, too. and They're, uh, losing. So yeah, it's, they're losing to Providence as we speak. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, anything's possible in this in this tournament for sure. Uh, so uh, make sure you stay tuned. We're going to have the Marquette preview uh, coming up tomorrow. And again, uh, make sure you fill everything out as and uh, from a review for our show. Subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We really appreciate that a ton. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>